0: Well good morning, it's wonderful to see everybody on the Lord's Day, although I can see from your faces that you slept later than normal yesterday, I wonder why. Uh, Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 16. That's where we will be today as we continue from in our study from where we were last week. And I, I have to say, if perhaps you've been, you're maybe newish to heritage and you wonder why we, we, we read, we, we preach from, from chapter to chapter, verse by verse, go through everything, all the pericopes in the scripture. Uh, we don't do it because it's easy. <laughs> Uh, it, certainly this, this, this Lord's Day, looking at this, it's a very challenging, it's a, a passage that has a lot of things going on and that uh, I, I hope to be able to bring together, but it's, we do it because it's necessary for us to hear what God says in his entire scripture. We, wanna, we, want, it wants to, we want to protect us uh, from me waking up this morning and deciding, because of the spring box last night, I want to preach a sermon on endurance because uh, that 's I feel like I have all the illustrations regarding endurance and or winning at the end after losing um, but no we, we we submit ourselves to god 's word and we we preach we we look together at the next passage that God has for us and in this particular passage in front of us there's there 's a number of different things happening, and if we were to spend time on each of the things that Luke mentions here, I think we, will, we, would, uh, we would found ourselves uh, spending a lot, of, uh, having a long time in the sermon. And so I, I have one main thread, even though there are a number of threads, I have one main thread that I think comes through here that we will focus on in this passage. Uh, we're going to read, let me read just up until verse, say verse, uh, verse 5 for now but we will, we will work our way through the entire chapter this morning. So hear God's word uh, from Acts chapter 16. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted This is God's Word. Well, there are a number of key insights throughout the book of Acts that we have seen. And one of them uh, that we are getting into a lot now, particularly in this chapter and even further, is that there are no passengers in the kingdom of heaven. In other words... When one benefits from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus expects and equips us to take over the baton and benefit others with the message. In a fundamental way, all members of the new covenant are to be priests and scribes. Priests in that they are to intercede and approach God on behalf of others and scribes in that they are to be teachers of the truth of the new covenant. In the kingdom of the Lord Jesus, you are not only served by the gospel, but you are also drafted in as one who serves others with and because of the gospel. The Lord Jesus made these two sides of our discipleship clear in his teachings as recorded by Luke. Remember, the book of Acts is the second volume of a two-volume work. The first volume is, uh, is the gospel according to Luke, to Luke, where he details the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and his teachings. And so the, sim- the same themes we find trickling over. And what we find in the gospel of Luke is that on the one hand, those who become believers, think about what they are called. Those who become believers in the gospel of Luke, those who become believers on the one hand are called sheep, They're called wedding guests, they're called little children, they're called the poor. And and these terms emphasize our helplessness and our need for salvation. We need to be invited. We need the grace of the Lord. But the believers in the same Gospel of Luke are also called something else. They're called disciples. They're called slaves. They're called managers. They're called employees. They're called farm workers. And what do these terms emphasize? These terms emphasize our duties as members of the kingdom of God. While in his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, we hear, this, we hear these terms said, this is what you are. you are, you're an employee, you're a farm worker, you're a manager, you're a slave. It's only in the second book, in the book of Acts, where we see these terms played out in action. The book of Acts maps for, maps for us a shift between one being saved to, being, to one being used in the mission to save others. The Lord Jesus left only a group of 120 when he left, but in the decades since, that group has multiplied to thousands as many are being rescued and then being involved in the rescuing of others. Here in chapter 16, this comes into sharp focus. We see many who are rescued throughout the chapter, chapter 16, we see many who are rescued now also themselves being involved somehow, in some sense, in the rescuing of others. And we will see very specifically how they are involved in the rescue of others and that should encourage us, the aim is that that should encourage us to do likewise, if we have received grace from the Lord Jesus, then we should be anxious and we should take these attitudes upon ourselves to ensure that we participate in the rescuing of others. So the first lesson that we find is, we fa- is found in uh, Timothy being chosen by Paul in the passage in the first part here that we've just read. Now remember where we were. We were in Jerusalem. Uh, where the Jerusalem Council happened, and then there was a disagreement last week that we saw. And then after that disagreement, Paul is now traveling with Silas, and he's gone to Lystra and Derb. Barnabas has taken John Mark, and they've gone the other side uh, to Cyprus. And so now this, this particular trip that we're on is to go back to where the gospel has already been preached. So remember the first trip that we took in chapter 13? That first trip was to go to new places. We went to Cyprus, we went to Iconium, we went to Derby, we went to Pisidian, Antioch, new places bringing the gospel there. But the purpose of this second trip is to go back to where the churches have been established to encourage them and strengthen them in the faith. And so when Paul arrives at uh, at Lystra, there is a disciple there whose name is Timothy. And we are being told a lot of biographical information here because, of course, Timothy is is going to become a huge part of the work of the church, at least at the time that Luke is writing. Uh, Timothy is the son of a believing Jewish woman whose father was a Greek and who's well spoken of by the brothers. And Paul wanted him to go with him, and so he took him. Uh, But before he takes him, he circumcises him. He circumcises him because his father was a Greek. There are two things that we can glean from this particular, uh, these first five verses. Number one, why does Paul want to take Timothy? Why is it? What's the reason that's given there, if you look? What's the reason that is given? It is because in verse two, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Did you see that? Timothy has a wonderful reputation. Now think about this. This is a new church. It was recently planted, and it's grown. The church has grown, and much like the church in Jerusalem and at Antioch, the Lord raised people in Lystra. So they receive the gospel, and then the Lord works among them to raise people up that need to be used in ministry. He, he might have been so well used that he was traveling between Iconium and Lystra because his, 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 his reputation stretches to Iconium. And I want you to notice something here also. Almost nothing is said of Timothy's giftedness. Did you notice that? It doesn't say anything about he had gifts, he was powerful in the spirit. The, the kinds of descriptions that we have heard about the apostles and the prophets in the past, there's nothing like that here. The main thing that we're told, the main thrust of why Paul is considering this guy is because he was well spoken of by the believers at Lystra and Iconium. All we hear is that the churches, when Paul arrives, the churches say, this guy is worthy of your attention. This guy is useful. We have benefited from this guy. Where, where Paul goes to Iconium and he goes to Lysra, he's just hearing about this guy and he says, I need to meet this guy because clearly the Lord is working in his life. Friends, we cannot overvalue our good name among the people of God. We can never overvalue our good name among the people of God. How we treat the people of God, how we conduct ourselves among the people of God, we cannot overvalue that. The judgment, the assessment of the people of God is a high assessment. I hope you take seriously the judgment of Christians. I hope you take seriously the evaluation of those who have the spirit of God. Paul certainly does. Paul says that we will judge angels. Remember that? In 1 Corinthians 6, it says we will, we will judge angels. Paul says that there is no, there is no that he says to them, uh, he says to the church at Corinth, he says, there is such good judgment among you. There should be such good judgment among you because you're the people of God that among you, you do not need lawyers. You do not need people who are trained in, 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 in the legal trade Because there should be such good wisdom, such good judgment here that we are able to, among us, to sort our issues out. In other words, if you have a lawyer, you only have a lawyer to deal with the people who are outside of the church. But inside the church, there should be an expectation that the judgment is so good that people are empowered by the Spirit of God that we should be able to take seriously the opinions and judgments of the people of God. So friends, the opinions of the people of God and the evaluation, our evaluation, me, being evaluated by the people of God is extremely important and should, have, should hold a high value in our own hearts and minds. The story is told about a company that hired a management consultant to look at employee assessments. So the managers in the company are writing assessments of each employee and so the management consultant is coming in to review all of these assessments that managers have made of different employees. The consultant expected the reports to be very dull but he found to his surprise that they contained a good deal of intentional and unintentional humor. Here are some examples. This foreman has talents but he has kept them well hidden. This person can express a sentence in two paragraphs any time. This person is a quiet and reticent manager. He's industrious, tenacious, careful, and neat. I do not wish to have this woman as a member of my dep- uh, department under any circumstances. In any change in policy or procedure, he can be relied upon to produce the improbable hypothetical situation in which the new policy cannot work. This person needs careful watching since he borders on the brilliant. This person here is very open to suggestions but never follows them. This person is keenly analytical and his highly developed mental mentality could be best utilized in research and development because he lacks common sense. This person never makes the same mistake twice, but it seems to me he has made all of them once. This is assessment. What will your assessment look like, saints, among the believers? What will believers say to you? About others, how you conduct yourselves among them, how you serve among the believers. What's your assessment? Your conduct, saints, must be pure and sincere. We must be trustworthy and honest. And here's the thing. People are aware of it when you serve them begrudgingly. Have you noticed when when somebody serves you but they're serving you begrudgingly, they don't want to do it. They're aware of it. Would somebody else recommend the help that you gave them? And say, no, I, I had an issue with this. Here's a brother who, who helped me out, his wisdom, his care. He took his time. This person really helped me out. Would, would they recommend you? So we have to think about this, saints. Our conduct among God's people is important. Paul is hearing the reputation of Timothy among God's people and how he's served and how he's, he's got a, well reputa- a great reputation and the implication is that it's because of his service. It's not a reputation because he's somebody's child. He's a, his father's Greek, you know. It's not because he's somebody's child but it's because he has served the church well. This is an encouragement for all of us to ensure that we serve the people of God well. But what else happens here? Before Paul can take Timothy in the ministry, what does he have to do? He circumcises him. Did you notice that? He circumcises him. And he tells us why he circumcises him. He circumcises him because everybody knew that his father was a Greek, so he's not circumcised. So what's going on here? Is it a qualification for ministry? That uh, if you want to serve at the church here, we need to uh, circumcise you first. Is that, is that a qualification for the ministry? Well, in one sense it is. Hear me out. Hear me out. Don't worry. Just hear me out. What's happening here is this. Paul has always said in qualifications for ministry that we must all be willing to bend ourselves backwards so that others do not take offense. Paul has always said that. If you read Paul's letters, he says that I become anything to everyone so that I can save them. Paul's, Paul's, Paul's push is always that your freedom must be laid down if you want to serve the people of God so that the other people can benefit. What kind of offense would have been here? Well, the offense that would have been here would have been the fact that if he's traveling with Paul and going and eating with the, the, the Jews who are still immature in this in this regard that they would have struggled to eat with him and Paul and so Paul circumcises him so that this does not become a question of course Paul is following on from the same thing that we heard last time when the church when the Church of Jerusalem gave out the instructions don't eat this don't eat that don't don't touch things that have been polluted by these things and for what purpose was that? It's so that when you commune with the Jewish Church and the Jewish Christians you do not cause an offense That was the purpose of that. The issue here, saints, is that we do indeed have Christian freedom, but you are not fit to serve if you will not be uncomfortable. Let it be known to you. If you're not willing to be uncomfortable, you are not fit to serve. If your service to others must be done to your taste, at your speed, you would not serve with the Apostle Paul. Paul would leave you behind if your comfort is paramount to you even while you're serving the saints paul would not have you join his team paul is a man who told us that he became a jew to jews a gentile to gentiles so that he might save some now he infringes upon timothy's christian freedom timothy does not need to be circumcised to be saved timothy does not need to be circumcised for anything spiritual at all but he is, he is infringing on his Christian freedom on this point so that the, 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 the saints might benefit. And I want you to think about this. Think about the concept of freedom, what you're free to do, what you're not free to do. Think about an ambulance. Why does the ambulance have a right of way in the road? Why is it? Why does the ambulance have a right of way? Why can Caleb drive his emergency vehicle at high speeds and run through robots when the rest of us can't. I'll tell you why. He has that privilege as a, an emergency worker because he is saving lives. He has that privilege. It's the same for you and me. Our freedom that we have in Christ, that we are not beholden, and that freedom is that we are not beholden to other people's consciences, that freedom is to be used for the benefit of the saints. The fact that I'm not beholden to your conscience and I'm not I'm not beholden to your conscience but that freedom is not to be used so that I can get my way that freedom is I need to use that freedom to benefit you I need to lay down my freedom so that I can benefit you so Paul doesn't care that you are free to do this that you are free to do that what Paul is going to ask you is is this beneficial remember his question that he asked in 1st Corinthians chapter 8 you can do this, you can do that, but the question is, is this beneficial? Food for the stomach and stomach for the body, but is it beneficial? Not everything is beneficial. So we need to think as God's people that, yes, I can do this. I have the right to do this, and it's fine. It doesn't really mean anything. If I, if I drink this, if I eat this, if I conduct myself in this way, it's all fine. But is this going to benefit everyone, or is this a hindrance? And unless we're willing to lay down our freedom, we have not matured in Paul's mind. Paul calls people like that immature. People who are to serve must lay down their rights for the sake of those they are serving. Paul himself actually does not put this weight on us and then doesn't take it himself. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, It was my right as an apostle who came to you and preached to you that I gather some material blessings from you, that I take a salary from you. But I laid down that, I laid aside that right so that I can benefit you. Because I knew that you would be confused by that. So I worked at night and then during the day I preached to you. That's what Paul says. Paul himself is the greatest example of this, of somebody who does not care about all the rights that he genuinely has a right to. Saints, take that, take that attitude upon yourselves. Enjoy the freedom that you have, but consider, is this beneficial to others? Well, let's move on. Verse 6. So he's taken him now, he's taken Timothy, and now they're traveling. And they travel through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. And when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So going through Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul during the night. A certain Macedonian man was standing there, imploring him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, he wanted at once to go away to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we sailed a straight course to Samothrace, and on, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of that district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. And on the day of the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate uh, beside the river. And there we thought there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women assembled there. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a a merchant dealing in purple purple cloth who showed reverence for God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household, she urged us, saying, If you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So, what's happening now? So, he's taken Timothy, and they're traveling, and they're continuing traveling eastward. They want to travel towards Asia. They want to continue in the Middle East, even more so towards Asia. But the Holy Spirit stops them. The Holy Spirit does not permit them to go further into Asia. Instead, the Holy Spirit, uh, we're not told firstly how he, how he inter- intercepted them um, in verse 6, but we know that he redirected them from going into Asia. He redirected them to go to, Greek, to Greece, uh, to a, a, a region called Macedonia in Greece. So he's taking them from going to Asia. He's taking them towards Europe. And he says, and the Lord does not want them to go this way. He's changing the direction of the mission. This is amazing. This is one of the fir- some of those few times where we see the Lord specifically involved in the movement of the mission. Uh, we saw it again happening in, um, in Acts chapter 8, where the Lord was taking uh, Philip and dropping him in different places, taking Philip and dropping him in different places. But here he is. Uh, very clearly inter- intervening, not wanting them to go to Asia, but wanting them to go to Europe. And now you might sit there and you wonder to yourself, wait, why doesn't he want them to go to Asia? Why does he want them to go to Europe? Why does he want the gospel to go into Europe and not into Asia? And we can sit here and, and wonder and, uh, and, and ask all kinds of questions, but the, 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 the answer is this. It was his goodwill. It was his sovereign goodwill. And we need to think about this and meditate on it. Uh, you wonder sometimes why is it that the gospel is flourishing in some areas and in some areas it's not flourishing. Why is it that it seems like certain people would pray for a long time for the Spirit's outpouring, that God would work and, revi- and revitalize the church in a particular area, but then the gospel goes on to die even. But, the, but it's vibrant in other areas. What this tells us is that this is God's mission and he will run it in a manner that he sees fit. What God is doing is that he is collecting, like a, like a, a farmer goes around harvesting, he's collecting the people that he is appointed. We saw this in chapter 13. Those who were appointed to salvation were those who were saved. So he is going around collecting the people that he has appointed throughout history. He is in charge of the, the, the mission. In one sense, we could say this, that God is the one who is in control of the gospel's power. God is the one who is in control of whether or not your siblings get saved or not. God is the one who is in control whether or not you have a freedom as a Christian to be able to meet like this or not. God is the one who's in charge. So now when we, when we find issues or when we see things that are sad, who do we go to? The Lord. Who do we plead with? It's the Lord. When, when we hear stories of men who have labored for a long time and they're seeing no fruit, who do we cry out to? The Lord. Always consider and know that this entire endeavor is not man's endeavor. It is God's endeavor. And that has... That should bring some comfort to us. You know what what comfort it should give to us? It's that question that Abraham asked the Lord uh, in Genesis. When the Lord is coming to destroy Sodom, and he's coming in all of his wrath to destroy Sodom, what does Abraham ask? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? If you find 50 righteous people there, will you destroy them? The angel says no. 25, 10, 5. The angel says, no. Why? Because the judge of all the earth does what is right. Trust in the fact that the judge of all the earth will always do what is right. That's one one lesson that we can take from this. Well, so the Lord redirects them and they go to Greece. And the gospel arrives for the very first time in Europe here in chapter 16 from verse 11. And I want to say this. it's just a bonus for those of you who, especially some of you students who hear this a lot on campus or whatever, you know, the gospel is a European thing. The gospel is a, you know, a white man's religion, whatever it is. Just next time you hear somebody say that, tell them, the gospel does not arrive in Europe until Acts chapter 16. Okay? Tell them that there are 15 chapters where the gospel is thriving everywhere it only arrives in Europe in chapter 16. It's already arrived in Africa. <laughs> Remember, with the Ethiopian eunuch, it's already gone with him. But it's properly arriving and now arriving in Europe only in chapter 16. Just, you can use that in your apologetics. In any event, so he, it arrives in Greece and we find, the, and they come to the, the major city. Of uh, of Macedonia, which is Philippi, and at Philippi they find uh, Lydia, uh, a lady who was a merchant dealing in purple cloth, and they are sitting with some. She's sitting with some ladies at a time at a place of prayer, and then Paul preaches the gospel to her, and she is baptized, and her whole her household is baptized, and then she begs them, in verse 15, if you consider me to be a believer come to my house and stay. She hears the gospel. She believes the gospel. She's baptized in the gospel. She's received the gospel. But now look, she says, if you consider me to be a true Christian, come and enjoy some hospitality from me. If you consider me to be a true believer, come and allow me to serve you. Allow me to participate Come to my house and stay. Make, your ha- make my house your place of rest while you're here preaching. Make my house the place where you're planning and plotting your mission. I'll give you a room. You can plan the entire mission from here. Make my house the center of your operations while you're here. I want to participate in what I've just received. Do you see the thread? We first went to Lystra where we found someone where the gospel had arrived and now we're taking that person we're saying you've received the gospel it's time for you now to go and benefit others with the gospel and now we've arrived here in philippi and here in philippi it's the same thing but it's not the apostle saying hey participate it's actually lydia herself saying i want to participate i want to be involved in some shape or form you ever think about how you can participate in the advance of the gospel it could, be as simp- it could be as simple as some having, giving somebody hospitality, Bre- opening your home, opening your resources for the sake of somebody who is involved in gospel work. Of course, we see this in, even in, uh, in Third John, uh, the apostle John talks about this. He says, open your home to the right people. Open your home to evangelists. Don't don't open your home to those who are preaching the false gospel. But open your homes. Give hospitality to those who are um, those who are preaching the gospel. I'm encouraged. Just in think about this, uh, I'm sorry to call her out like this in front of everybody, but I'm, but I'm encouraged by Ruth. Ruth Bowder. She she sent an email to Hard Cry saying if you have if you guys ever have people who are passing through here, please come to our home. Isn't that encouraging? Just looking for for ways to find people. If there's a way that I can open up my home to someone, let's do that. So let me encourage you with whatever resources you have, think of a way that you can participate in benefiting the saints. Hey, I'm not a counselor myself, but I can have you. you I'm going to connect you with someone and I can have you guys come to my house and, and allow you and have you guys talk. Something, think of something practical that you can do to benefit somebody who needs grace. There's, there's young men and young women here. Uh, when I say young, I mean young like youth. There's people here who need help. People who, who, have, who, who need a friend. Put your hand to the plow. Adopt a younger person if you can. And this goes even for you students. You can, you can look for someone. This goes for Everyone. But even, you can look for someone who's younger than you in the faith, someone who might need a friend, who might need an encouragement. Just take them under your wing. You're not going to have all the answers, but sometimes just being a friend to somebody who, who needs to help navigating, thinking about Christianity could be a huge deal in their lives. Think about how you can benefit those who are, who, those who are whom the Lord loves and whom have, who have the, the resource, who, whom the Lord is directing his love to, and whom the Lord is, is, is working in. Think about how you can benefit those people. In, the resp- in response to the great grace of God, we ought to be begging like she did to serve. And notice also what Luke says here. He, say, he adds the phrase, she prevailed upon us. So I don't know what, the, what game the apostles were playing. They were trying, maybe saying, no, it's fine, we'll stay somewhere else, or we've made other plans. Because it seems like she, the word that is used there, she urged them strongly and she, she defeated them. They were, maybe they were resisting somehow, but she defeated them. No, you guys are going to stay in my house. And that's the end of that. And, and they, she prevailed upon them and, and, and she blessed them and took care of them while they were here. Friends, who can we serve? Who can we beg to serve? Where, which areas can we look at? to see how can we serve. I'll leave that to you. Who must you pursue? Who's the people? And think, and, and I think one of the areas is actually, one of the simplest ways to find this is this, where is there a problem that I'm seeing? So she's, she understands that these guys are coming from, from Pisidian, Antioch. They, they, they don't have a place to stay. She sees a problem, these guys need a place to stay. I have a house and they can stay there. I've got some money. They can stay with me in my house. And she, she had a household, which means she had servants. So we, we have a, a clear understanding that she's probably a, a, a wealthy woman. And she says, no, I've got, I've got resources. Come. You guys need a house? I have one. Just think in terms of a problem. Where are the problems? And instead of maybe thinking it's somebody else, something to, somebody to do about it, maybe you could be the one who steps in and does something about it. So... Let me encourage us towards that. Well, let's move on. Verse 16. And it happened as they were going to the place of prayer, a certain female slave who had a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing a large profit to her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us and was crying out, saying, These men are slaves of the Most High God. Who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation and she was doing this for many days but Paul becoming greatly annoyed and turning around said to the spirit I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and it came out immediately and when her owners saw that their prophet was gone they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers and when they brought them to the chief magistrates they said These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs that are not permitted for us to practice because we are Romans. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the chief magistrates tore off their clothing and gave orders to beat them with their rods. And after they had inflicted uh, many blows on them, they threw them into prison, giving orders to the jailer to guard them securely. And having reached such an order, the jailer put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Uh, something I failed to mention in the previous point. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that it, it, it suddenly changed from third person to first person. Did you see that? It's we now. He's from verse 10. He's now saying we. We were here and, we, this, and this person followed us. This means that Luke joined them on this particular journey. So Luke, the one who's writing uh, the book of Acts, he joined the journey uh, probably at Lystra and started when, and traveled with them. And so now he's writing in first person. He's saying, Yeah, this is what happened. I'm no longer reporting to you what I heard, I'm telling you what I saw um, by himself. That's why you're now gonna hear you're gonna hear a lot of the we and us uh, showing up. But other than that, have you I want I have a question for you. Have you ever thought about how we could rid the world of evil industries. Have you ever thought about that? There are certain industries. Okay, so industries in general can be corrupted, okay? You can be a police officer, but then bri- bribery becomes an issue. There's industries that are good can be corrupted. But there are certain industries that are evil by their nature, right? Certain e- industries that, that a Christian have not, has, certainly has nothing to do with. Uh, they are evil that these, these demonic industries that depend entirely on human corruption and greed to exist. You think about prostitution, you think about drug lords, you think about gambling, think about hijacked buildings, many mafia industries. How, have you thought, how do we in the world rid the world of these categorically evil industries? How do we get rid of evil industry entirely such that all that the world has is good industry and good work? Well, it's amazing that in the text in front of us is an example of the gospel and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ removing a cash cow. The focus of this story is that a woman who had a demon that enabled her to tell the future and because she was able to tell the future because of the demon, she was very profitable to her masters. She was a slave, and so she was very profitable because people would pay the masters to come and see this woman who's demon-possessed, and then they can tell them their future. This is very, kind of similar to what we saw uh, happen in Cyprus with the proconsul and Elimas. Elimas was the magician. He was supposed to be a, a magician who was a fortune teller in one sense, and he would be profiting the proconsul. But here, the masters depend, the masters require that this demon stays in the slave girl so that this slave girl can continue bringing in the cash, right? She's the, she's the, she brings in the cash by, by telling the future. And so what does happen? Well, the, the apostles come, and when the apostles come, the demon, much like other demons that we've seen, um, earlier, particularly even in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen this, where the demon uh, says the truth. So do you remember when, uh, when the Lord Jesus arrives uh, to, these, to, to the legion, and they say, why are you, why are you here? It's not our time yet. They, they tell the truth. I know who you are. You are the son of the Most High God. And then God, and then Jesus tells them to keep quiet. Do you remember those examples? Well, it's the same kind of thing here. The demon screams these men are telling you the way of salvation which is a very weird a very this is the wrong is a weird evangelist like like you're you're right but i, I can't agree with you <laughs> like um she's demon possessed and the demon's telling the truth these men are telling you the way of salvation and she's doing this every day as they're going about their business going about preaching the gospel these, this dear this slave this slave is screaming they're telling you the way of salvation telling you the way of salvation to a point where the apostles realize that this person is is held by an evil spirit and so paul turns around and commands the spirit to leave her but she does not this spirit does not just leave her with the proclamation that these men are preaching the gospel the spirit leaves her with the fortune-telling as well. And so now the masters are unhappy. They rebel rouse the entire city. They get, the entire, they get everybody uh, uh, risen up uh, and everybody excited, everybody unhappy, take them to the magistrates, and the magistrates throw them in prison. But how was this particular evil industry dealt with? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason that this passage is here, and in fact, and you'll see this especially now when we see Luke talks a lot about politics in the moment just now, you'll see this. The reason that this passage is here is because at the time of Theophilus, remember Acts is written for Theophilus, and at the time of Theophilus, there was, there was accusations against Christianity that Christianity is an incendiary religion, that whenever Christianity arrives in an area, chaos rings out. And what Luke is showing by, all, by detailing these accounts is, chaos ringed out, but it wasn't because we came with chaos. It wasn't because we came guns blazing, telling everybody to burn everything, speaking politically in any kind of way. We didn't come here as, as revolutionaries. We came simply preaching the gospel, and this is what happened. It wasn't our fault. We, we're not rebel rousers. We're not revolutionaries. We're not trying to upend the Roman system. We're just preaching the gospel and, when, and, the, and actually it's these people who are against us because when we preach the gospel and people are freed, they are not happy. You see the, you see the point. This is, this is why this is written for us. It is written so that we know that the gospel did not come as a political force, but rather as a force to free people from their slavery. And when people are freed from their slavery... That has political implications. So here's what's happened here, they, 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 get, they get put in prison, and what happens when they get put in prison? Look at verse 25. Now about midnight, Paul and Cyrus were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and all the bonds were unfastened. And after the jailer was awake and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself. We are all here. And demanding lights, he rushed in and began, beginning to tremble. He fell down at the feet of Paul and Silas and he brought them outside and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the message of the Lord to him, together with all those in his house. And he took them at that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he himself was baptized at once, and all those of his household. And he brought them up into his house and set a meal before them and rejoiced greatly that he, that he had believed in God with his whole household. So they are, our brothers here, they are thrown in the prison. And then the Lord frees and causes an earthquake. And the Philippian jailer tries to kill himself because he knows if these guys have escaped, I'm going to be killed. So I might as well just kill, him, kill myself. But then they say, no, we're here. And because of that sign, the Philippian jailer believes in the gospel, is baptized him and his entire house. Now, I, wanna, I just want to bring out a few things to your, to your attention here. There's so much in this. But let's just say some, some things in passing. They are, they are in prison. They have been held in prison. But what are they doing in verse 25 in prison? They're singing and praying. They are praying and they're singing. They're not in a great place, but they're singing and bringing praises to God. Saints, I would encourage that to you. When you are not where you would want to be, pray and sing to God. If you want a, a very simple and straightforward application, we can take this example. Pray and sing to God when you're not in a place where you want to be, where your soul... Think about what the psalmist did in Psalm 42 and 43, David. His heart was low. He says he has no idea why his heart is low within him. I have no idea why this is. So what did he do? He wrote a song to his heart, saying, my soul rejoice in God, hope in Him. He's lifting himself, he's lifting his soul up to his God. Saints, when you're in a place that you don't want to be in, you can follow this example. Sing and pray to God. Do not move away from Him. Moving away from the Lord is the worst thing you can do when you're in a situation that you do not want to be in. But the other thing I want to bring to our attention is that notice how they emphasize how Luke emphasizes often here that the, that the Philippian jailer was baptized him in his house. Did you notice that? Came up a number of times. And it also came up in the previous passage with, um, with Lydia. Lydia and her entire house was baptized. So now you might have some questions that you, you might be asking, wait, what does this mean? Why is it that you're preaching the gospel to this person and then saying that this person, they must believe and be baptized and then the entire household is baptized? Well, you, you have to remember. When the way that Luke writes, because he's saving space, he's not going to detail everything for us. He sets up a pattern, and then he refers us to that pattern. So when we hear this, don't assume in, in, Philipp, in here with the Philippian jailer or with Lydia that there were people there who were not believers, but then were baptized. They didn't believe the gospel themselves, and they just, they just were baptized because Lydia was baptized or because Philip was baptized. That's no... Paul, where did we see the first time where the gospel arrived in somebody's household? Do you remember where did we see that? It was Acts chapter 10. Do you remember this? With Cornelius. And what happened when the gospel arrived and we're told, the first time we're told about a household baptism, what happened there? They all believed and they all spoke in In tongues to show you that these were people who were, who were all believing the gospel and they were all proclaiming the gospel. And Luke has set up that pattern in, that pattern in Acts chapter 10. And so now he's just picking up from it. Just like we saw, in, it's happening again, that the entire household believes with the head of the household and the entire household is baptized because they believed what the head of the household believed. You understand? This is very important to, to remember that you, nobody can get baptized on behalf of somebody else. Just because, you, just because I have a servant, now I'm baptized, now my servant must be baptized. It doesn't work like that. No, it's as you believe, then you are baptized. So, what does he do? So, he's, he's, uh, the last thing I want to point out to you is that, notice what he does. After he is saved and he, he receives the gospel, he responds, he, he, he washes their wounds. Did you see that? He feeds them. He takes them out of the prison to his house. (laughs) He takes care of them and then he brings them back to the prison. That's quite something. He's risking his life taking care of these people. right? How are we in their household already? How is it that we're in his household? Because he took them to his house. Preach this thing that you preach to me. Preach them to them. Baptized everybody. Fed them. Took care of them. And then took them back to the prison. But imagine if his superiors had come to check while they were gone. See, he's risking his life because he wanted to care for their wounds. And he was excited about the gospel. He wanted to take care of them. He wanted to dress them and take care of them. He he sees them now as brothers and he says, these conditions are not good. I'm going to take care of you. He risks his life for the sake of these saints. It's the same pattern again. I've received this gospel and now I want to do something. And in this case, it's washing the wounds and providing for those who are in prison. What does it look like to risk a life for the sake of the saints? What does it look like? And I want you to think about this even in your own context here. We, there's not really much that we can say nobody really generally hears having gun a gun to our, you know, to our heads uh, with believers here. It's not, some, we're not, it's not a situation that we're in. But there's, there's ways in which we show that we prioritize other people more than ourselves. Paul t- calls us to that, to prioritize others. And think about that. How can you seek to prioritize the saints even to your own discomfort, even to risk towards you? How can you take this and apply this? We can think about many different applications, but I want you to think about this. Discuss this on your tables at home. How can we as a family prioritize others? Not to say that your needs don't even matter, but how is it that we ensure as a family that we are constantly making it a part of our lives to prioritize the needs of the people of God. Finally, verse 35 as we close. Verse 35 And when it was day the chief magistrate sent the police officers saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul. And the chief, magistrates have, the chief magistrates have sent an order that you should be released. So come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without due process. Men who are Roman citizens and they threw us into prison. And now they are wanting to release, release us in secret? Certainly not. Rather, let them come themselves and bring us out. So the police officers reported these words to the chief magistrates, and and they were afraid when they heard that these men were Roman citizens. And they came and apologized to them, and after they brought them out, they asked them to depart the city. And when they came out of the prison, they went to Lydia, and when they saw Lydia and the church that was with her, they encouraged the brothers, and then they departed on in the journey." Why does Luke tell us this intricate political battle that's going on here? Luke, uh, Paul is almost asserting his right as a Roman citizen. You can't, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't treat me this way. There was nothing wrong. There was no due process. just threw me in prison. Why does Luke tell us this intricate detail? And especially of the fact that they even came after to apologize to them. It's for that purpose that I told you earlier. That at the time of Theophilus, of Theophilus, there was so much accusation against Christianity. Christianity was known throughout the Roman world as a rebel-rousing, problem-causing religion. And so here, this is great evidence to show, no, not only were we in the right, but they came and apologized to us. They actually came to apologize because they had not treated us. So when you're, so when you're accusing us and saying that we caused a, a ruckus in Philippi, know that you're wrong because they apologize to us we were always in the right we're not those but the larger point here is this christianity is not a political force that's really the larger point that's the the takeaway christianity is not a revolutionary political force the change that christianity this empire of god wants to do is in the hearts and souls of men That does have political implications afterwards, of course. But the change, the emphasis, the focus is not to upend all countries, is not to change the political landscape, it's not to get to places and make a big deal about social ills, but rather to get there and transfer people from the dark to the light. Friends, I read something from a pastor the other day that was very true and I believe this is so true. This pastor said this, he said, when pastors get bored with the gospel, they turn to politics. When pastors who are supposed to be proclaiming the gospel, they get bored with the simple old message, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's boring. We've said that for 30 years. They turn to politics. And we've seen that a lot. Because in politics, there's a lot of things you can do. It's exciting. There's a lot of, you can, you, can, you can argue, we can do all of this. But our task as a congregation, our task as those who proclaim the word of God is to proclaim that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. You ought to repent because he calls, he is called, he is Lord of all and your kneecaps will burst when he breaks you if you are not atoned for by him. The political message we have is this, there is a king who rules over everything, who is coming, and that king demands of you allegiance. Repent, turn away from your allegiance to everybody else, and and come to him, exclusively to him, and he will give you rest, he will give you a political home in eternity that is everlasting, that no man, that no other king can come and destroy kingdoms rise and fall empires are always rising and falling but this one kingdom this kingdom of the son of David will reign and stand forevermore come to this king and so this is a message for you today I don't don't know if you're hoping in political men they will disappoint you come to Jesus Christ the leader of the kingdom that will never be thwarted he's the one who will give you life he will forgive you your sins and ultimately he will lead you into glory amen let's pray well Saint Lord we yeah we, we acknowledge it's it's almost like we've drinking from a fire hose in this past in this chapter there is so many lessons here and we pray Lord that you would help us to be those who take the baton and serve others like we've seen in the examples in the example of Timothy in the example of Lydia in the example of the Philippian jailer, that we would be those who serve the saints, that we would be those who care for the saints so much that our reputation among the saints is in high regard because of how selfless we are. Make it true of all of us in Christ, we pray. Amen.